So in the south, where you never ever see a forecast for 13 degrees as a high, <laughs> and where Baptists reign supreme in the religious world, you can often stumble upon these big outdoor services where folks are being baptized in the nearest lake or river, right? Now, I was at one of these one time, and a guy who wasn't familiar with this, who's from the north, showed up, walked up. He'd never seen this sort of thing happening and watched. The pastor noticed his interest, and he was like, well, are you ready to find Jesus, the pastor asked him. And the northerner looked at the water seriously and said, sure, yeah, I am. And so the pastor dunks him under the water and, and pulls him back up and says, have you found Jesus? No, says the guy. And so the pastor dunks him again uh, for a little bit longer this time and brings him up and says, you know, now, brother, have, have you found Jesus? And he said, no, no, I didn't. I'm sorry. Uh, and the pastor got a little disgusted at this point and held the man under for like 30 seconds and brought him back up and demanded, brother, have you found Jesus yet? And the northerner wipes the water out of his eyes and asks the pastor, Are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> you know it's even more embarrassing than opening a sermon with a joke like that? Actually, uh, the story we get in our gospel today. Here's what I mean. Biblical scholars agree, as much as uh, biblical scholars can agree on anything, that this story of Jesus' ministry beginning with his baptism is one of the most historically verifiable pieces of tradition we have. Scholars agree on this, not because archaeologists uncovered you know, evidence of Jesus' lacy white baptismal gown, gown somewhere, but because... This story is an embarrassing one. If you were making up a perfect Messiah figure, this is not a story you would tell. Think about it. Paul writes much earlier than the Gospels, by as much as a decade or two in one case. And Paul repeats to us already the formed Christian doctrine. Christ is sinless, perfect, why, then, would he need to go through a baptism that John says is for the forgiveness of sins? Why tell a story about an unnecessary baptism? So it opens up all sorts of questions, right? How do you send after all? Are you sure this is where he fell in? The gospel writers receive this tradition this sort of embarrassing tradition, and end up dealing with it in different ways. Mark's account is the earliest and likely where we get the bones of the story, right? And you know it. John baptizes Jesus. The heavens are torn open, Mark says, and a voice from heaven names Jesus as the beloved. But as is the case per usual in Mark, no one understands what's happening because it sounds like terrifying thunder to the crowds that are gathered. Now, Matthew starts his version a little later and asks himself, like, how's he going to deal with this? Well, he has John the Baptist tell Jesus that he is not worthy to baptize him. You remember that. You should be baptizing me, Lord. You know, you've got phenomenal cosmic powers. I'm a worm and no man. John, in Matthew, only consents to baptize Jesus 
after this like, verbal self-immolation. What's unique about Luke, though, that we heard today is something that was edited out of our lectionary. Uh, notice. John's railing on about fire and threshing floors and judgment, and we've got a couple of verses in there missing from our story that, uh, that I read to you just a minute ago. Here's what it says. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, And because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, etc., 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 our reading continues today. Where is John for the baptism? He's in jail. Jesus is alone in Luke. There is no one conferring this baptism No terrified crowds. Jesus experiences the coming of the Holy Spirit alone. And it rests on him and tells him he's beloved. Now, I've been prepping for our confirmation classes this week. And one thing that, of course, we'll cover is baptism and what we believe about it. Most of the folks gathered down by those southern rivers will be there because They're leaving a life of sin, to be washed clean, to be drowned in the old way of life that drew us far from God, and to be raised with Christ in a new one. These are all things we believe that are happening as we gather around our fonts. Those are the prayers we make, too. But I wonder, and this isn't something I ever heard in the South, I wonder how often we take seriously the image given to us here of baptism. That in a person where sin isn't present, baptism still speaks. That it's conferring more than forgiveness as much as, much as I need it. Jesus receives an epiphany of his own place before God. He's seen for all that he is and is loved for it. Could our baptisms at their heart, put us where Jesus is today, hearing the voice of God when we're all alone, and hearing it say that we are worthy of the love and attention of the divine. Have you heard that voice? Christianity has been notorious over the centuries for dividing the world up between the baptized and the unbaptized, the good and evil, the sanctified and the profane. But Jesus' epiphany put him in the waters that all of humanity are swept up in. It began his ministry. It will propel him to those very places the profane, the evil, the unbaptized, it will propel him to those places that all of us were so keen to avoid. Rowan Williams writes, Baptism does not confer on us a status that marks us off from everybody else. To be able to say, I'm baptized, is not to claim an extra dignity, let alone a sort of privilege that keeps you separate and superior to the rest of the human race, but to claim a new level of solidarity with other people. It is to accept that to be a Christian is to be affected, 
You might even say contaminated by the mess of humanity. This is very paradoxical. Baptism is a ceremony in which we are washed, cleansed, and recreated. It is also a ceremony in which we are pushed into the middle of a human situation that may hurt us and that will not leave us untouched or unsullied. And the gathering of baptized people is therefore not a convocation of those who are privileged, elite, and separate, but of those who have accepted what it means to be in the heart of a needy, contaminated, messy world. Jesus approaches these chaotic waters of life, scans the current, and asks, is this where she fell in? Is this where he went under? He brought you out to hear that inner voice call you beloved. And as you help others hear that same refrain, the pleasure of God will rest upon you. Amen.